0: Great. So today we're going to continue from last week The last week. We started looking at 2 Chronicles. I don't want to go backwards too far, but I will do a little bit of a, 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 a recap there. And we started looking at a key scripture for revival. Paul mentioned a bit of 2 Chronicles earlier on. And um, so here's a bit of a re- recap of the context for those who weren't here. We see this, and uh, Paul just mentioned that, that, Jonathan, uh, that Solomon had just finished building the temple. Uh, the nation came together in unity for the dedication of the temple. And as Don, uh, Solomon uh, begins to pray, an amazing thing happens. The presence of God comes down in such power, that, uh, and fire came down from heaven. This is uh, in the word of God. This is not an exaggeration. And the priests could not stand. They fell on their faces. You know, interesting thing about when the presence of God comes, we don't normally fall backwards. We fall on our faces. Uh, And uh, they were there. And actually what happened out of that? It, we see that the glory spread from out of the temple, and people in the streets begin to fall on the ground and begin to worship God. And that has happened not only in the Word of God, but if you listen to revivals that have happened over the centuries, you will read of stories of the presence of God. will move in such power that people just would, where they are, in this city, in the nations, uh, begin to worship God, whether they understood it or not, as the Holy Spirit, Spirit and the fire of God came down. Um, I'm glad we sang that song. And after this, this um, dedication, the Lord appears to Solomon and lays out the prerequisites for national revival. And that's what we want in this nation and the nations of the world need God. How many of you know that? A change of political parties is not going to heal a nation. And uh, I'm not political at all. Uh, God says we to pray for our leaders. So whoever's in power, we need to pray for. Because if, if we pray for them and they do well, it goes well with us. Amen? Amen. But he says this uh, to, to, uh, in 2 Chronicles 7, 13 and 14. He says this to Solomon. He appears to Solomon and says this. When I shut up the heavens... So that there is no rain or command locusts to devour the land and send a plague amongst the people. So in the context, then this is an agricultural society, yes, they had some cities, but they didn't have irrigation systems. They didn't have uh, transportation that we have. They couldn't get um, food from Brazil when they had no Bra- uh, food in Canada. So they were totally dependent on rain and agri- agriculture and all of that. And so this was a national economic crisis. And we have different ones, but it's a similar thing. But it was caused as God shut the heavens over the nation. But he says this, you are the answer. You, my people, Oceanside, you are the answer together with all the other Christians. Because he says, if my people, that's, who's my people here? We are. We are. There we are. Can I see a hand? (laughs) Uh, uh, Who are called by my name will do four things. Just four things. Will humble themselves. Will begin to pray. Will seek the face of God and repent and turn from our wicked ways. He's talking about the church. That's us. And he says, if they do that, his people, then I will hear from heaven and I will forgive their sin, and I will heal their land. We see clearly see that revival begins in the house of God, and that the healing of a nation is not physical or political, but it's spiritual. And we see, as, as we see, and as we see, humility is the gateway to the kingdom. Jesus said this: unless you become like a little child. You will not humble yourself and become like a You will not enter the kingdom of heaven. There's a big difference between being, being childlike and childish. Big difference. But when we... Become like a little child, childlike, where our total trust is on our father and mother. When we trust God like a baby would need to trust. Babies don't get up in the morning or little kids wondering uh, where their food's going to come from, especially in this beautiful nation. They trust their parents and so on. And God is talking about us understanding that he is the giver of all things. And he says this, uh, uh, you see, humility is a gateway. And true humility drives us to our knees as we're reminded, as Jesus said, he's in the upper room with the disciples, he's about to be uh, convicted and crucified. We're going to be talking more about that as we get closer to um, Good Friday and so on and Easter Sunday. And uh, he, he, he speaks about him being a vine and us being the branches, that we, to, we are to be Bear fruit on those branches. And we know that if we cut a branch from a vine, how many of you know there's going to be no fruit? It's going to die. And he says this as this, and he reminds us that I'm the vine, and apart from me, you can do nothing. Humility also calls us to seek his face and not his hand. And I've been listening, I've been meditating on the scripture since we were away on holiday. And, and under, and me beginning to realize more and more how much of my prayer is about God's hand. God, can you help me? Can you do this? Can you do that? The church, the city, the nation, myself. And often I can pray for a long time without really seeking the face of God. And we see people like Moses, and we're going to look at that a little bit, how they did that. and and the relationship they had it's not that we shouldn't ask for what we have but what it is is the seeking the face of God draws the presence of God and the anointing of God in our lives and if we the next thing is repent humility is also the gateway to repentance humility is the key because why would i repent Why would I pray? Why would I seek his face if I could do it all myself? And so it's the gateway. And we see in verse 15 that it tells us when we do this, when we do those four things, just those four things, go and read it. He says this, now my eyes will be open and my ears are tentative to the the prayers offered in this place. And St. Augustine, speaking of this passage, writes, can we get that um, quote up there, is it possible? Sorry, I should have asked you earlier. Don't worry if you can't. It says, in the spiritual life, there exists a fundamental prerequisite for relating to God. If there's any single key condition for spiritual awakening, it would be the virtue of humility. In fact, it is in in fact a quality from which all dimensions of revival flow. Humility is the foundation of all the virtues. Hence, in the soul in which this virtue does not exist, there cannot be any other virtue. Can one repent of sin or receive salvation without humility? No. Can one develop in character and love and, and be reconciled to others without humility? No. Can one truly worship the Lord in spirit and in truth without humility? No. End quote. You see, this is why humble people pray, and we see it right through the Bible. And, 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 and many people, I love so many people in this church that when we travel and will text us, they'll be praying for us. And nobody else knows about it. But it's such a, it's such a um, boost of faith when we get a prophetic word or prayer from uh, when we're in another nation and understanding that we are people praying for us. You see, humble people pray because they understand that any greatness they achieve is not in them but through them. They see the divine hand of God at work in everything they do every day. And understand that God is more responsible for their achievements, for the blessings on their lives, uh, than they are. That their skills, talents, and natural abilities are not their own, but gifts given by God, and God's, for God's reason, for us to use them for His glory. And as a result, they are generous and willing to share, understanding that the reason God blesses His people is so that His people can be a blessing to others. And why do they do this? Because they ultimately recognize their absolute dependence on God in all things. And we see this in the, in the Bible over and over, and uh, Moses is a great example. God, the, the Holy Spirit, inspired the writer of Exodus who was Moses himself, to write this. Moses was the most humble person in the world. Can you imagine how Moses struggled to even write that? But God saw a humility in Moses that he saw nobody else, and that he was the most humble man to ever walk the earth outside of Jesus Christ, according to the word of God. Why was that so? It was because he knew that without God he could not accomplish anything of eternal value. And this dependence on God caused him to intentionally make and spend time not seeking God's hand but seeking his his face. And out of that relationship he had some amazing conversations with God. And we see this in Exodus 33. Moses, uh, verse 7 to 21, it says, Moses used to take a tent and pitch it outside a camp some distance away, calling it the tent of meeting. This is an incredible thing. We Deborah and I lead a church of a couple hundred people and so on, and it's busy, and it's busy. Moses was leading over a, hundred, uh, over a million people. Imagine a church of a million people grumbling about wanting to go back to the world, going back to Egypt, grumbling about the food they had, grumbling about that. And Moses could have run himself ragged, but he realized that in himself he could not do this. So he purposely would leave the camp and he would go and pitch a tent where he would commune with God because he knew that outside of God he could do nothing. Nothing. And I want to encourage you, every single one of us, whether we are half an hour lunch break or, or time in the day, to take some out, out of our circumstance. Like for me to go for a and sit by a lake or by the ocean or go for a walk, uh, just a half an hour. Walking my dog is an amazing thing because it loves walking and uh, gets me out the house. But it can be part of my communion with God and building that relationship with God. And that's what Moses was doing. He knew that he couldn't do anything for these people outside of God's presence, his anointing, and his power. And so he would do that. And anyone inquiring of the Lord would go to the tent of meeting outside the camp. And whenever Moses went out to the tent, all the people rose and stood at the entrance of the tent, tent watching um, Moses until he entered the tent. And as Moses went into the tent, the pillar uh, cloud would, f- would come down and stay at the entrance while, Moses, while the Lord spoke to Moses. And whenever the people saw this, saw the pillar of cloud standing at the entrance of the tent, they all stood and worshiped God, each at the entrance of his tent. They saw the anointing come down upon Moses. And that encouraged them to pray too. That encouraged them to seek the face of God. And they would stand and worship before their tent too. And here, this is an amazing thing the Lord would speak to Moses as a man speaks to a friend. God wants to be our friends. It's very hard to have a friendship with, with someone even, even like me who may as just, God, can you please do this? Can you do this? Can you heal me, save me, this person? And thank you very much. God bless my day. Friendship is a two-way conversation. Isaiah 33 says this, Jeremiah 33 says that, If you call unto me, I will answer you and show you great and unsearchable things you do not know. Jeremiah 33.3 is God's telephone number. Put it in your phone. Call unto me. But what happens often when I I read the little scriptures, often I call and then I put the phone down. I don't give him time to speak. I don't give him time to answer. I don't spend time in his presence so that he can show me the great and unsearchable things that I do not know. We have, all of us have those things in our lives. The nations have that. Churches have that. And it's when we're in his presence and and as we worship him, he begins to speak back. I've never heard the audible voice of God, but God speaks to me in my heart. Even planning this church, coming to Canada, not knowing one Christian in this nation I came not because it was a good thought, but because I knew that I knew that I knew that God had called me. And when you know in your knower, what do you do? Sorry? Oh, yes, Deborah says I knew her and the kids, so, yeah. But they weren't saved yet. So. No, No, I'm joking. No, they were part of the team. Definitely, so amazing you see this is the, the key and we're going to worship God a little bit after this again because I it's those who wait upon the Lord that renew their strength even young men get weary but when we wait and old men and everybody in between but when we wait upon her, on the Lord he renews our strength and we rise on wings like eagles and we will run and not grow weary and walk and not faint. We are privileged to have the biggest bald eagle or eagle uh, 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 population in, um, in North America on this island because of the salmon and all of that per, per square kilometer. And isn't it beautiful when you see an eagle just flap a few times and start catching the thermals? Stabbed there for hours, no effort. On wings like eagles, no effort, just soaring and giving, getting a perspective from heaven and not from earth. And that's what God, where we could be like a pigeon or a crow just flapping around, blah, 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 trying to do things. But God wants us to rise up on wings like eagles. He wants to change our perspective. And that's what I want to speak about. You see, our perspective of who we are radically changes when we see and experience the glory of God. One of the things that changes that we truly understand that He is God and I am not. That's a good perspective. That He is God. He is holy. He is to be worshipped. And we see this in the life of... um, of Isaiah, an amazing prophet, come to warn the nation to repent and turn. Unfortunately, they didn't. And we know what happened, but he tried his best. And we see in the first five chapters, there's a lot going on there, but one of the primary focuses of his message was woe to you. Dirty, rotten people. (laughs) Woe to you. But in chapter 6, it's an amazing thing. Something radically happens in his life as he has an encounter with God and he is totally undone. Isaiah 6, 1 to 8, it says, In the year King Uzziah died, he's obviously worshiping God and he has the Spirit. And he sees, he literally sees the Lord, high and exalted, seated on a throne, and the train of his robe filling the temple. Above him was seraphim, with each, each with six wings. Two with wings, they covered their faces. With two, they covered their feet. And with two, they were flying. And they were calling to one another this, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. And at the sound of their voices, the doorposts and thresholds shook, and the temple was full with smoke. And his perspective changes from woe is you to woe is me. He sees himself and his, his unrighteousness in the context of a righteous God. And this is a very humbling experience for Isaiah, and it turned away, although he still warned, and though he still uh, spoke very strong words to Israel, his heart had changed. You see, many of us say, if you do that, you're going to die, or whatever it is. We will maybe not say that, but it's not with compassion. You know, if you carry on that way, man, you're gonna, that's going to kill you. But it's your deal anyway. It's not my deal. But when we have compassion, we want to see them set free. And what Isaiah turned in his heart, I believe, is that instead of just judging the nation, he was almost, in a sense, pleading with the nation because he wanted to see them um, restored. And he says this, I cried, and he says, "'For I am ruined. "'I'm a man with unking lips, "'and I live amongst a people with unking lips, "'and my eyes have seen the Lord Almighty.'" Then one of the seraphim flew to me with a live coal in his hand, which he had taken with tongs from the altar. And with it, he touched my mouth. This is the grace of God. This is now God healing, restoring. This is like when we come and confess our sins towards, to God. Uh, and it says that he is faithful and just to cleanse us. So he's cleansing Isaiah. This is under the old covenant. And he says, and from all impurities. When we confess our sins, one John, one nine, he is faithful and just to cleanse us from all our impurities. But we need to acknowledge them, and we need to know that they're there. And he says, he touches this, and you see this, your guilt is taken away, and your sin atoned for. Under the new covenant, we can come into the presence of God daily. We can ask for, confess our sins, ask for forgiveness, and our guilt is taken away. You see, sin was dealt with on the cross. When Jesus died for our sins 2,000 years ago, we weren't born, but he died for our sins. So in a sense at Calvary, and the finished work of the cross, our sin, past, present, and future was paid for. So when we come to God and we serve, he, he forg- and we repent, and he forgives us of our sins, uh, and so on, that does not mean we shouldn't confess our sins to to God. Because to me, confession is for my, to cleanse me from my guilty conscience as I give them to God. And he says, paid for in full, paid for in full. It wasn't paid for when I did that. It was paid for when Jesus died on the cross. But I need to confess it. I need to be cleansed from a guilty conscience. I need to be cleansed from the things I'm doing. And so in a sense, I'm, I'm applying the finished work of the cross in my life when I do that. Amen? Amen. And he says this, and he touched my mouth. And he says, your guilt is taken away. Then I heard a voice of the Lord saying... You see, God is always wanting his people to go and be his light. That cry of who will go and who has sent me has gone for all eternity. He's looking for a man and a woman to stand in the gap. He's looking for people that will do what Roberto's doing, but in their thousands. So this nation is not um, uh, served only by social services, but so there's so much increase and so many people helping people and, and being God. And being sent into those dark places, shining light, that the nation and the people can see the church of God that He dreamed of and who we're supposed to be. Not people meeting on a Sunday uh, in a gym or in a cathedral and doing our thing the rest of the week, but we coming on a Sunday to be encouraged by one another, to be spurred by one another towards love and good deeds. And we're supposed to go from here full of that love and full of that humility and tell our stories. Tell our stories. I once was dead, but now I'm alive. The best thing I can do to people when they come to me and I see that they might be a little bit embarrassed of maybe what they've done is to tell me Some of them, some of the things that God's forgiven me from. It's humbling, but it creates a place. I can trust this person. And I tell you, I want to tell you something. If God, like I said last week, and I want to repeat it, unless it has to do with children, unless it has to do with children, there should be, for me, confidence when people speak to us. confidence they need to know that now that confidence doesn't mean that there isn't consequence because sin has consequence and we mess up uh, forgiveness and consequence I've done this really bad thing I I want to tell you I killed this guy or whatever it was I, I stole this and so on. and I say man God can forgive you God forgave a thief on the cross he can forgive you but you now have to do the time You now have to work out the consequence. And why is consequence important in the kingdom? Because in Hebrews 12, it says, God disciplines those he loves. And how's the biggest way he can discipline us? Consequence. Because when we walk through, we say, God, by your grace, I never want to do that again. When there's no consequence, things go crazy. People get out of jail after three years of murdering somebody. Well, why is the murder rate God? And so the context is, yes, we need to be a people that, that share and express the love of God into these people that he sends us to. And getting back to that, Isaiah uh, 2 Chronicles 7. And this is where we're going. We've been speaking of humility. And next week, uh, Wes is going to speak on prayer. And then we want to speak on seeking his face. And then we want to deal with what repentance is. Repentance. Do you see that turn from the wicked way? The word repentance is, is the word metanoia. And the, that word means I'm turning around. So I, I'm, I, I'm a child of God and I, I lose my way and I begin to walk away from God. And all God is, says, confess that and repent it and turn around, turn back to God and turn from our wicked ways. So repentance is not a bad, dirty word. The enemy wants us to think that. Repentance brings freedom. Repentance brings liberty. Repentance brings healing. The enemy works in dark places, in the caverns of our heart and all of this, and he controls us through a guilty conscience. And we want to step out to God, and I say, today I'm going to step out to God and I do something stupid on the way to work. I'm just saying, I've done it before in traffic. And I get there and I say, oh, I can't do this. And so God says, just repent and do the things you did at first. Repent and do the things I've called you for. You see, that's what breaks the power of sin. What breaks the power of sin is when we are honest with each other but for there to be honesty, there has to be trust. And one thing the church has not done well, and we need to look at ourselves. I love the church. I'm part of the church. The, 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 the church of God, Lord Jesus Christ, is way bigger than us. But the church, there's a lot of issues in the church. I know that. But we, the church, have to be a place where people feel comfortable that if they come to you, Jimmy, or to Paul, or to Russ, or to me, and they pour out their lives, it's not going to be spread all over Facebook, the internet, or even the religious way of spreading gospel Is saying, hey, let's pray for Mike at the prayer meeting or on Sunday. Do you know he did this this week, but we're going to pray for him. Mike walks in and everybody's like, No, we pray, we humble ourselves, we take the logs out of our eyes and we help them take the speck out of theirs. If we can get that right in humility and we begin to pray earnestly and we begin to seek the face of God, the presence of God as is happening in this place, God will heal the land And it's not only us. I'm sensing this and speaking to people all over Canada and places. There's a sense of a hunger and thirst for righteousness in the church. But when the Holy Spirit is revived, the enemy also is revived. And he comes with guilt, condemnation, accusation, because he wants to contain our effectiveness. And if this is the effectiveness of Oceanside, the stage, this is Nanaimo and maybe the island, we've got a bit of effect in this place. If this is it, and we come now and we say, Do you know what, we want to advance the kingdom. We want to step out of this box like Roberto and them, and we want to start taking back the ground. What does the enemy, he begins to roar like a lion with accusation of that, and we get back in our box. And all of a sudden, it's peaceful again. And we say, oh, this must be God. I'm so happy and peaceful again. We get up again, all hell breaks loose. And we need to identify that. And we need to understand that we are wrestling, not against flesh and blood, but principality and powers. And we need the armor of God, which means that we're at war. There's a war going on between the kingdom of light and the kingdom of darkness. The beautiful thing about light, the beautiful thing about the kingdom of light when you switch on a light or shine a light in a dark place, darkness does not argue with you. It just goes. You don't switch your, your light out at home and the light comes out. Okay, God, darkness, get out the door. It just flees. There's no comparison to the power of God. The, the enemy is a created being, he's not omnipresent, omnipotent. Uh, omniscient and all of those things. He's also, he's like that crow with the wings. He's got a flap here and everywhere and he's got this, whereas God is all, where everything. This is not like Star Wars, an epic battle of two equal forces, good and evil. No. <laughs> Do you know when the enemy, and I like to say this, when, God, when the enemy reminds you of your past, you start reminding him of his future. Because when he's thrown in the fiery pit of hell, when he's thrown in there, God just sends an angel. He doesn't say, okay, let's get all the armies to get this dude. Go and read it. He doesn't even tell us who the angel is. He said, okay, his time's up. Chuck him in. Gone. Singed for all eternity. We have power. We have authority. We have anointing. But the barrier to that is pride. That's what did Lucifer in. The barrier is pride. But when we humble ourselves and we begin to do this, loving and caring for each other, creating safe spaces for people to be vulnerable, creating places where the Holy Spirit and the presence of God can do. Because I tell you what, one minute in the Shekinah glory of God like they were is worth a million years of counseling you are set free. And whom the Son sets free is free indeed. Amen? Amen. Amen. Thank you, church. Thank you. I so appreciate you coming. But before you go, we've got some time to worship God. If we could have the worship team come up. And so this is what I'm feeling In Ezekiel, God says that the, the presence of Lord is often one of the ways that it's described as rain. Rain. It's fire. It's light. It's his presence. But in Ezekiel, around right about 30, I, I forgot in the actual passage, um, chapter but in Ezekiel, Ezekiel is speaking to a nation that he's calling to repentance. He's warning them. And lots of bad stuff going on in the nation. Lots of bad stuff in that time. But in the midst of, the, of, of this, this book and of what's going on there, God interjects and wants to pour out his break, grace. Grace. And he basically says this, come to me, basically stand before me, and I will sprinkle clean water on you, and you will be cleansed. Come stand in my presence. Not only will I do that, if you humble yourselves and come to me, I will remove from you a heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. We know our, our hearts are hardened by, we've been vulnerable and we've been used and abused or we've been through trials and where is God and why and all of this kind. And it's slowly but surely hard as hands. you know that rain cannot get into rock? And so when His presence comes, just bounces. off. But he wants to remove that heart. And he says after that, that I will put my spirit on you. The Holy Spirit, have you got the, what's the? Thirty-six, twenty-five, and I will put my spirit in you and then he says this and I will move you to follow my decrees how many times God I'm trying so hard to change but I can't well relax because you can't you can't change yourself and in a sense the root of even that thought is pride But when we humble ourselves and say, God, cleanse me. My heart is hard. Lord, there's things in my life I'm doing that I shouldn't be doing. And I try and I try and I try. And I I sense, God says, stop trying. Stop yielding. Start yielding to me. And I believe even in this moment where people are, God, the Holy Spirit wants to rain down upon us. If you could sing that amazing song. Is Camilla? Yeah you will thank I'm so pleased not in the mother's room so. <laughs> I thought for one moment Camilla's got to feed her baby and um, just allow the rain if you want to and the fire whatever fire is purity and if it's that I'd say God take this I need heart surgery I need a cleansing I need to be set free from hurt and pain the other biggest trap the enemy uses to close the heaven to close the presence of God is unforgiveness do you know what you cannot forgive anybody in your own strength but when we start to understand how much God has forgiven us how much God he's done for me a wretched sin and I see like I, woe is me I'm too is this man of unclean lips And now my eyes have seen the glory of the Lord and God comes and cleanses him. And his sins are atoned for. Only God can change your life. Only Jesus is the only answer. And we need to yield to that and stop trying. And instead of trying harder, spend more time with him in a walk. You know what, David, the, great, the amazing thing about David is in some of his psalms, it sounds like he's a little bit schizophrenic. Lord, I love you, your mercy. But God, kill these people. And God, I, you know, and, and he, then he, he sins and he does all of those things. And do you know what the Bible says in the book of Acts? Paul, speaking of David, it says this. I found in David the son of Jesse, a man after my own heart. God loves honesty, and David was honest. But afterwards, said, "God, forgive me for saying that." And it would just go on and on and on. He had the heart. God loved him. God loves that. So, this stand now. I'm just going to pray over you. And if you want to sing, great. But if you just want to stand here, I want to say this too, if you don't know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, He is the only answer. I discovered that many years ago and I would love to pray for you if you'd like to know more about Jesus. Uh, If you're struggling, I just say, what I, I do when I'm overwhelmed is I just open my hand and I see myself standing before my dad in heaven before the throne and I see myself putting all that junk on his lap giving it to him and I always see in my mind I've never seen God like Isaiah but I just sense the presence and the the joy of God give that stuff away today humble ourselves seek his face repent repent so that times of refreshing may come in the house of God.